Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays at voxoc.com slash live and at the Eldorado Performing Arts Center. Good morning, Vox. Good morning, good morning. Hey, we are so glad that you decided to spend this Sunday with us. We are a church that welcomes everybody in process to talk about God, to love Jesus even in some really hard times. Uh, Mike is not going to be Skyped in today, which is a really good thing because Michigan lost yesterday. And he's not being Skyped in, so he has no way to comment on it, which I think is God's provision. So we are um, glad you're here. Hey, it is with heavy hearts, though, that we meet this morning. As a teaching team, we feel that we should address, sadly, another tragedy that's happened in our country. Uh, Last Sunday, after service that night, um, a man killed 58 people with an automatic weapon and wounded over 500 people in Las Vegas. And that, that feels close. And that's a tragedy that, as a country, we are dealing with. And I'm so proud of our Vox community. We have community pastors. One, one is an MFT. He opened up his practice to talk to people the entire week. We have another MFT, Joanne, who has gone around uh, and invited people to our house tonight in her neighborhood to process. And that's what we need to do. We need to process. As Christians, this is difficult. We believe God's loving. We believe he's good. We believe he's all-knowing. And yet these tragedies happen. And I just want to talk about lament for a second. Fifty of the Psalms have to do with lament. Lament is this place where you don't try to figure everything out. You just sit in the fact that we live in a world that is deeply broken. It is amazing when you think back to Jesus, when Jesus taught us how to pray. Think about that for a second. Jesus teaching us, his followers, how to pray. And this is what he says. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, God's will is perfectly done in heaven. It's not done here on earth. The world is not as God intends, and the world breaks God's heart. You know, moments like Las Vegas we're aware of, but there are evils and atrocities happening throughout the entire world that God sees 24-7. So what's our response to Las Vegas? I think it's what Mike talked about uh, a couple months ago, that we have lost the ability to truly lament And as Americans, we're not good at this. We do microwave lament. It's like 30 seconds and we're done. I do appreciate that major baseball and football had moments of silence, but that seemed really inadequate. I remember my son and I were watching a baseball game and they they literally had a moment of silence that I bet you was seven seconds. And they said, okay, let's play ball. And that's how Americans do lament. That is not how the scriptures do lament. The prophet Jeremiah is talking to the nation of Israel. Jerusalem is in ashes, has been burnt to the ground, and now Israelites are going to be taken to Babylon, and Jeremiah says, listen, don't think this is a quick thing. It's going to be 70 years before people come back to Jerusalem. And by the way, many of you won't be part of that. You'll be dead long before that. So sit in the fact that we're now people of exile. And that's what we are. Uh, Earth is not run by God, and he grieves as we grieve. So I would like to have a moment where we pray, uh, one, that our hearts would be burdened, that we'd be a people that would not just think about Las Vegas 
for a moment of silence, but that we would pray for the people of Las Vegas. So let's take a moment to pray for the victims, uh, the families of the victims, uh, children who don't have parents anymore, uh, the 500 that are wounded and are trying to recover both emotionally and physically. Let's have some time to pray for them, and I'll close us in prayer. Father, we do pray as Jesus taught us. We recognize that you're our Father in hard times. And Father, uh, as Jesus taught us to pray, we do pray that your kingdom would come, that as we look around the world, that the tragedy, the hardship, particularly of Las Vegas, that uh, your kingdom is not fully here yet. But I pray for the church, that we give people a glimpse of the kingdom, that we would respond with money, volunteer efforts, prayers, opening our homes to people that are in process, that have been affected by this tragedy. I pray that we could be the words of Christ, the feet of Christ, that we would love uh, with compassion towards a, a deeply fallen world. So, Lord, we give this to you, and we do pray daily that your name would be hallowed in this world and that your kingdom would come. We pray in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. Uh, if you are in process, we had a volunteer time before this service where we pray for this service. So many of the volunteers had been impacted by Las Vegas, knowing of somebody. So if you're still in process and you want to talk to somebody, have somebody pray for you or a family member or somebody you know that's been affected by this tragedy, we have community pastors that will be in the back. They have on lanyards, uh, orange lanyards. They're, they would more, more than gladly pray for you. So feel free to go to them at any time during the service or at the end of the services. We're taking communion. Feel free to grab them and pray. You can certainly grab anybody on the teaching team. We'd love to pray for you as well. Well, life does go on, and we go on as community. We don't do this by ourselves. So Vox has two really important ways that you can be part of the community. One is, next weekend, we're going to have a picnic. Uh, we do this every month, a time for us to get to know each other, bring some food, and maybe even bring a little bit more so that you can share. But come next Sunday and just bring some blankets and some food, and then afterwards we'll all just go meet on the lawn and have a time getting to know each other and having some fellowship. Uh, praying for the University of Michigan. And also, we have what we call table fellowship. Uh, we want to do what um, the early church did, is we want to open our homes and have people come and literally, let's have a meal together. Let's have fellowship. And so these are in certain homes. Um, Vox uh, members have opened their homes, and you can come in and get to know each other, have a meal. And then Mike Geary He's one of our, uh, he's the founder of Vox. He's one of our beloved pastors. Unfortunately, he's in Ohio right now caring for his mother. Uh, he's going to be Skyped into these table fellowships to talk about his take on table fellowship. So it'd be a great way to, to interact with Mike during those times. And so you can go to our Vox website and just go to, uh, it's gone, so I hope you know. Uh, go to Vox website and you can sign up for table fellowship. We'd love to, we'd love to have you. Hey, one of the things I absolutely love about Vox, and I've said this over and over, um, a lot of churches sometimes sanitize the questions that people have, and when people get up and give their testimony or story, they tend to be sanitized stories and sanitized questions. I love the fact that at Vox, we don't do that. So I'm going to respond to two questions, and the first one is just a very difficult question, and I do not want to minimize it. Uh, but I would like to try to respond to it in a certain kind of way. Here's the very first question. I've had a very challenging year and a half. To be honest, a challenging, heart-gut-wrenching lifetime. I'm just so sorry to read that. 
um, I'm so sorry that you're, you're in that type of pain, that not only is this a, a dark season of the soul, but as you look back on your life, you look back on it and say, I, I think my whole life has been one dark nut of the soul. And that's really hard to read, and that's hard to know how to respond to. I feel like I hear and see conflicting information in the Bible and from the church regarding whether or not these difficult times come from God. One story that comes to mind is Joseph, and in how in the end he states that though his brothers intended him for harm, God meant it for good so that many could be kept alive. Or the Job story where he's obliterated but then restored to even more than he had before. The problem with these stories is that they cause tons of irreversible damage on all levels. And I kind of feel like that's how it is with my life. I don't feel the damage is worth whatever good God has cooking in the kitchen. So let me stop right there and say something. The reason you're confused is because the Bible is confusing. So let me say this. It's a weird thing when you come to the scriptures. There are times God can be crystal clear if he wants to, and he has. Jesus is the son of God. Salvation is found in Christ alone. The resurrection happened, right? Um, so there are times God can step in and be crystal clear. There are other times, and I don't know the reason for this, he chooses to be ambiguous. He chooses not to settle the issue. And if you know anything about church his, uh, history, this issue of whether God is causing the evil to happen has been wrestled by the church since the very beginning of the church. St. Augustine was ripped apart on this issue. So when we study St. Augustine, there's early St. Augustine where he believed that God did not cause evil. He did not micromanage life. Late Augustine, he kind of flipped. He said, no, I do believe God is controlling all of life. So even a person like Augustine was just torn in half. So I get why you're confused. There's enough in the Bible to believe that God is micromanaging the world and that uh, Las Vegas, while evil, God has something to do with that. It did not happen outside of his control. Other parts of the Bible, I think, look at that and say, man, there's no way God would do that. So where do we get our answer? I'll, I'll try to say that in a second. The other thing I hear all the time is that it's not really God doing or orchestrating. He's basically repurposing the bad stuff, Romans 8.28. Well, which is it? I will definitively answer that in a second. <laughs> That's why I love being a teacher, because when I give an exam, it is my answer. That's right. The power is intoxicating, and I want to change young lives. Okay, um, I'm just tired of trying to make sense of crap in my life and try to find hope. Kind of all seems pointless. Like I just try to live for me and stop worrying about others or how this is all going to get worked out. Is that it or is there one more part of this question? I think that's it. Well, let me say this. Um, Job is a very confusing book. Uh, God allows Job to be sifted by Satan. Satan asks for permission and God says, you got it. You can do anything you want in Job's life, but you can't take his life. I, I think that's an exception, not the rule. I do think God decrees certain things. I think that's the exception, not the rule. Now, why would I say that? For me, Jesus is the one who helps the most. We know that Jesus is God in bodily form. All of God rests in Jesus, is what the book of Colossians says. So I think it's interesting to see how Jesus reacts to certain things. So there's three instances that come to mind very quickly. One, Lazarus is going to die. Jesus knows he's going to die. He knows that literally in 10 minutes, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. 
But what is his response? His response isn't at Lazarus's death to say, well, this is God's will and we should just accept it. He doesn't do that. No, even though he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he weeps at the death of Lazarus. I think there's a lot there. I think sin breaks Jesus's heart. I don't think he's looking at sin, saying, well, this is just God's grand um, mysterious method in the world. Second, he stands in front of Jerusalem. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would have gathered you in my arms like a chick, uh, a hen does her chicks, but you would not. That's pretty powerful. In other words, God isn't determining who obeys his will and who doesn't. Jesus literally says to Jerusalem, 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 I swear to you I can fix what's causing problems for you. Please come to me. That's the same invitation he gives to the world. So what does Jesus say? He says in the Lord's Prayer, pray every single day that God's will would be done on this earth. Subtext, his will is not being done on this earth. Or we wouldn't have to pray for that. Um, so I get that Joseph, right, is abused by his brothers, thrown into a well, and theologians just flat out disagree on Joseph's comment about it. He said, you intended this for evil, God intended it for good. Some theologians read into that, that God caused the pain. Other theologians read into it, no, 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 Joseph isn't saying God did it. God, he's saying that God's going to take even this tragedy and cause it for good. But it's hotly debated. So for Jesus, I go to him to say, what is Jesus' reaction to sin? That it's part of God's grand plan, or does it break his heart? To me, it breaks Jesus' heart. I don't think God is up there determining that day who would die in Las Vegas and who would live and who would be merely murdered. I think Jesus was doing a lot of things behind the scenes, not as much as I would like, right? If I were God, I would have stopped it on the front end. Right? I, I would have had that um, gunman have a heart attack in his hotel room. But, but God, there's other things at play that are, are big things. And maybe we can talk about this. I, I've actually written on this topic. It has greatly disturbed me as a believer. So maybe we can talk about it and try to flesh that out. But I hope that helps. My ultimate answer to your question is, one, I think Jesus' heart breaks that your life's been really, really difficult. And second, he weeps at the sin of the world. He doesn't think it's somehow God's grand plan being lived out. Okay, next question. <sighs> Woke up this morning to tweets from the president blaming the people who are dying in Puerto Rico. Vox has discussed this before, but at what point is it enough? There are no gray lines. You either support this, his hateful politics or you don't. Suffering and tragedy for minorities and LGBTQ. BTQ is an inconvenience for this president and his party. At what point will Christians take a bold stance rather than saying over and over again to pray for this hate? So there is a huge tradition in the church of the church protesting the state. A huge tradition. Martin Luther King Jr., right, protests in, in Birmingham where you protest racist policies. So there is a huge um, tradition that we have of opposing presidents, of opposing ministrations, right? But here's my one question I want to ask. But how is our protest different? I agree that we need to protest at times, but how will our protest be different? This is where Martin Luther King Jr., I think, was really instructive. He led protests, but they were nonviolent. 
Uh, he took a page out of Jesus' teachings and Gandhi's teachings. And these people, if you read about Bloody Sunday, these are men and women walking in and being hosed, beaten severely with clubs and having attack dogs be loosed on them, but they would not fight back. Because Martin Luther King Jr. said, it is not just winning the day, but how you win the day is was equally important. So I do think we can oppose this president, but what will be different about our opposition? Let me suggest two things very quickly. One, I think we give him respect even in our opposition. It is a spiritual discipline of mine, and believe me, I do, I do interviews all the time. And I am not a fan of this president, but I will always call him President Trump. He owes, I owe that to him, the office of the president, as I oppose him. Second, like I said two weeks ago, let's not be blind. The, this president also does good, and here's the good that he does. The lawyers at Biola University said this, if Secretary Clinton wins, I don't know if we're going to be around much longer. Secretary Clinton made no bones that she wanted to severely limit religious freedom and that she was about closing doors, and Biola might have been closed if she would have won the presidency. This president, whatever we think about horrible policies like removing DACA and um, removing certain protections from the LGBTQ community, he still is a fan of religious freedom. And without religious freedom, we won't be able to have a dissenting voice within America. So it's a mixed bag, but however we protest this president, let's do it in a way that's distinctly different. And Martin Luther King was incredibly uh, effective in his nonviolent, Jesus-honoring form of protest. So I, I hope that that helps a little bit. So, all right, we're done. Let's pray. You're gone. Well, you're dismissed. No, absolutely you're not. Izzy, come on out. Uh, Ronnie's going to be preaching to us. He's part of our preaching uh, team. He's going to come out, but we're, we're first going to get our hearts ready to hear what he has to say from Luke. So, Izzy, come on out with the worship team. Is it just you? No worship team? No, they're here. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you. Come on out. <laughs> Thanks, Izzy. Thank you, guys. Can we thank them? Can we thank them for playing for us? Thank you. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, it's good to be with you guys. It's been a while. Uh, my September was crazy. Uh, we had lots of stuff going on with family, and we were all over the place, but it's good. It's good to be back here and kind of fall back into a rhythm again. Um, it's funny. I was just thinking about this today. So my, for some of you who don't know me or not familiar, I'm, we're in sort of a weird transition, which is great because this is what this place is about, right? People are in transition and process, and that's where we're at. So my wife works for another church. She's a worship leader at another church. Um, and then I'm here teaching and a part of this community. But then at the same time, we're also starting our own church. So how holy am I that I'm at three churches on Sunday? Right? So it's just been crazy for us, um, and so, but this is, this is always a blessing to be here and to be with you guys and um, to just get, just to get the process. And, you know, we've been talking, the staff and the volunteers and talking after, before the service about uh, how great is it that we can come here and not offer uh, cheap fixes, solutions, uh, platitudes, but we can actually just be real and authentic in who we are. And so I want to affirm that in your community and affirm that in you. Thank you for being that place for me and for so many others. So, um, what I want to do, because I don't have a ton of time, I want to just jump right into the passage. We're going to look at Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, um, and then they'll be on the screen too. And this is a huge, let me just give you kind of a, a brief overview, because it's, it's, there's a lot. This is like 15 verses, um, and so I'm going to spare you uh, the you know, exegetical verse by verse, word by word. Uh, I'll, I'll give you the clip notes to that later. But we're going to jump through it, um, because this is very, very important, and I think it's, it's critical to understand 
sort of what Jesus is saying in these passages and also the message he's trying to convey to us today. So in Luke chapter 14, we pick up the story. Uh, It says this, on the Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of the leader of the Pharisees. Okay, he's at the leader of the Pharisees and the people were watching him closely. Now, let's just stop for a second. Um, The Sabbath celebration, this is the nation's largest festival celebration. It symbolizes their, uh, their freedom from slavery in, in Egypt, uh, it, God's redemptive plan for their life. And so the nation would celebrate uh, the, uh, the Sabbath in, in, in incredible ways. And there were specific rules about how you could celebrate the Sabbath, right? And so here he's with the Pharisees these religious people who are the leaders of this uh, of, of, of their, their nation to help them understand the law and understand how to actually execute the law in proper ways. So the people would look to them for how to do this. And, and at times, Jesus would find himself in opposition to these people. And so here we see him going to dinner on a Sabbath with the leader of the Pharisees. Verse 2, there was a man who was there whose arms and legs were swollen. So you can imagine the scene, right? There's a Sabbath There's a man who clearly has some medical issues and needs attention and needs help. And they're at the Sabbath celebration. Jesus then turns and he asks the Pharisees and the experts in religious law. Remember, these are leaders. These are the ones who are supposed to have an upper hand in God's law and what it means. And he says this question, is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? And it's crickets. They, They don't answer. And Jesus touched the sick man and he healed him and sent him away. Then he turned and he said, let me ask you the question in a different way. Which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? If your son or your cow falls into a pit, don't you rush to get him out? Again, crickets. They couldn't answer. So we're going to talk about this, this scene, this setting that Jesus is in. But I want to just kind of frame up what we're talking about. You've heard this expression, you can't see the forest for the trees. Have you, have you heard of this expression? For those of you who are not familiar with it, uh, it's the idea that sometimes we lose perspective, right? That we fall victim to looking at the minutia of something. We get myopic in our focus and we sort of miss the bigger principle or the bigger picture of what's happening around us simply because of where we're at. It happens in marriage, right? How many of you had uh, one of these moments with your spouse where you come home and you're thinking everything's great and you say something which sets off a chain of events and an argument that turns into something much, much more than you originally understood this question to be, right? My therapist and I, we have this expression, it's never about the dishes, right? We get into an argument, and I think this is about dishes, and then I have to stop and run myself, ah, it's not about the dishes, Ronnie. There's something more you're missing, right? You've had this before. You understand this, right? This is the, you can't see the forest for the trees. It happens in life, right? We find ourselves in the midst of of a trial or a season that just seems awful. And it can feel like this is our reality. This is it. And sometimes we can't see the full perspective or what's happening outside of our current circumstances. I know for me in my life, that's been true, that at times I felt like this was all life meant for me. This was the reality. And and looking back, I realized, oh, there was something bigger that I couldn't see. And it can even happen when we read the Bible, right? It can happen when we read the Bible. Sometimes you, you talk to well-meaning Christians and, and we sort of miss the forest for the trees. Well, here's a perfect example. You've heard the story of Jonah, right? And so sometimes people will focus on this fact that a whale swallowed a man and he was inside the whale for three days. And it's like, no, it's got to be this and it's got to be true. And it's got whatever you believe about it. 
the reality is, is that story of Jonah is much more than a man being swallowed by a fish. The narrative on Jonah is, can you love your enemy? You see how we can sort of get so focused on some minor details that we miss the perspective, the bigger picture. So this morning's title of the message is The Forest for the Trees. The Forest for the Trees. So before we start, can we just pray real quick and just invite God to be here to speak to our hearts? Let me pray for us. God, we're thankful. Thankful for an opportunity to be uh, gathered around our brothers and sisters, our fellow human beings who are just just trying to find our way through life, just trying to understand what it means to be more human, understand what it means to be more connected to you with your grand plan and your love for us. And we feel at the deepest parts of us that you're pulling us towards something, but we sometimes don't understand that. We get caught up in our daily life and what we're doing. And so we need your insight, Holy Spirit. We need your wisdom to help us see what we can't see, to help us understand what we can't know, and help us to be okay with the mystery of things that we can never know, uh, because it's just who you are. And so we're grateful for an opportunity to gather over the next 20 to 30 minutes to hear your word. And so we ask now that you would speak to our hearts, God. Um, We're thankful for this time, and God, would you please bless the Dodgers. And all of God's people said, amen. It's our year, guys. 88. 88 was the last year. Okay, but I digress. All right. Uh, So, Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath day. And notice sort of the story. If you're taking stock, if you're reading, let's just notice a couple things about what's actually happening here. Now, if you read Luke's gospel, Luke's account, you'll see that he's got some themes and some narratives that he has going on. And there's an agenda to what he's writing, obviously. Um, And so this is the third meal that he has with the Pharisees. Again, we talked about these. These are the religious elites. These are the people who were supposed to be in the know. They were the ones who were concerned about the letter of the law rather than the proper interpretation of the law. Now, that's an important fact because sometimes uh, people will think that when Jesus said he came, you know, the, oh, Jesus came and so the law doesn't matter. Remember, Jesus wasn't abolishing the law. What Jesus was actually doing is helping them have a right understanding or a right interpretation of what the law meant. Because humans left to their own devices sometimes have issues, right? We can take something because we can miss the forest for the trees and get it wrong. And so what Jesus was here to do was help them have the right and proper perspective on what the law is because the law was good. And so Jesus often finds himself in opposition to these leaders. And yet what you notice in the story and in the gospels all throughout Jesus's ministry is that he finds himself at a meal or in settings with them. That Jesus actively engages those people who might be in opposition to him. Now let's just take a minute. Let's stop here. This would be a good moment for us this morning to stop and ask this question, okay? And I asked this question about myself this morning when I got up and I was like, okay, I'm going to teach this. Let me ask you this question. Who would you least want to sit down and have a meal with? Right? What's that? What was it? Okay. Yeah, I I mean, I I don't know who it is for you. It could be family member, right? We all have those family members. We're like, oh gosh, Thanksgiving's coming. You know, that politics is going to come up. You know, they're going to talk about this. And it's like, you just don't want to have that conversation, right? Maybe for you, um, it could be a different group of people who have a different ideology or thinking or way of understanding their world. Maybe their worldview is different from you. And you're like, I don't want to have this conversation. I don't want to sit down. Why would I ever want to sit down with those people? Because you know what's about to ensue. So who would you want to least have a sit-down meal and conversation with? Here's the thing. For Jesus, there was always room at his table for those who thought differently than him. 
there was always a space for people who didn't agree with him to come and sit at the table and have dialogue. Whether they chose to listen to him or whether they chose to agree with him isn't the point. The fact of the matter is there was space to come. That's an interesting thing, right? Because for us, we have this natural gravity as human beings, right? Even as an ev- from an evolutionary standpoint, like there's this natural gravity for us to go find people who think like us, who agree with the same things that we agree with, because it's easy, right? Because that's what we want. We want people to affirm the ideas, the beliefs, the patterns, the things that we think about. And so we find ourselves in these group circles. You see where I'm going, right? This is dangerous. This becomes confirmational bias. I was reading this article recently on confirmational bias, which is just fascinating to me. So for those of you who are on Facebook, you understand Facebook, uh, pretty revolutionary and it's incredible in what the things are able to do. But one of the things about Facebook that is actually quite scary is that Facebook uses these algorithms that actually track the things that you click and look at and sort of presents you with more things that you, they think that you would like, right? Have you ever noticed you'd be looking at something and then you open up your Facebook and there's the very thing that you were thinking about? Like if it's like a, a clothing item or something, there it is. You're like, wow, that's crazy, right? Well, where this gets dangerous is if you only get your news through Facebook. You see where I'm going? Are you with me? If you tend to find yourself looking at conservative ways of thinking, you're only going to get surrounded by more conservative ways of thinking. You become more entrenched in the way that you think and the way that you act and the way that you believe. This confirmational bias is a very dangerous thing. And what we see is that Jesus doesn't do that. I was watching this Netflix documentary recently. I don't know if you've seen it. It's called Accidental Courtesy. There's a man by the name of Daryl Davis, who's an African-American man. And uh, the, the whole thing started around him, you know, quite a few years back saying, I just want to have conversations with those in the KKK. Kind of an odd thing, right? Like, here are two people that are at odds. And his whole thing was, how can you hate me if you don't even know me? And what he realized in the process of that is that he didn't know them, that he didn't understand them. And so he took it upon himself to go and have conversations and engage in relationships so that he could further understand why someone would believe what they believe. He never started out with the intention that I'm going to go prove to them that they're wrong and I'm right. That's one thing that he makes very clear in the documentary. His goal and his purpose was simply to understand and to create relationships. He never even concerned himself with trying to evangelize them and convert them. But what happened in the midst of all of that is that over the last 20 or 30 years, 60-something odd members of the Ku Klux Klan have given up their robes actually to him in this process. And what he's learned is that what's most important is that we're willing to listen and learn. That when we engage in conversations with people who are different than us, that we must start with this principle that we're there to listen and learn. That we give up this need to be right, this need to convert, right? Just what I love about this community, the Vox community, is a place that wants to listen and learn. It's built upon that. That we don't have all the answers. That we know that in our own mind, the way that we think, we don't see everything. Sometimes we miss the forest for the trees. And so when we take moments to engage those around us who think differently than us, who have different ideologies and backgrounds and cultures and heritages, and we invite them in, it actually makes us more whole and more rounded, which is why Jesus invited these people. So back to Jesus and the Pharisees. He's at this Sabbath celebration, and then he performs a miracle, right? Here's a man who is some some major medical issues. Sometimes in your version, it might say he has this, uh, this, this thing called dropsy, but essentially he has these swollen limbs. 
and he's been wrestling with them for life. And so here's what happens is that he heals this man. But what's recorded is that no one is in awe or astonishment about what just happened. Here's a guy who has lived his life miserably. And Jesus asks a question, nobody answers, he heals him, and nobody's in awe that this man was just healed by Jesus. Can you, are you with me? Do you see how somebody's missing the forest for the trees? These people are missing it. I love what Jesus is doing here. He's helping them have perspective, helping them understand what's going on here. And it's easy sometimes when we, when we read the scriptures and we read the Pharisees, because I think for me, if you're like me, I like to read the Bible and always see the Pharisees as the bad people and I'm never the bad person in the Bible. Is that how you are? Because I'm that way. I'm never the bad guy. And then somehow I realize, no, I am the bad guy. I am the Pharisee. That is who I am, right? And so Jesus, he's not necessarily taking them to task. He loves these people. They have the wrong interpretation. They've missed the forest for the trees. He goes, guys, you're missing it. Let me help you rearrange your understanding. Let me help you think differently about what's happening here. He's helping them give perspective and challenging their thoughts. He asked this question to them. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now stay with me here. He's priming the pump. Jesus is priming the pump for what's about to happen in the next 10 to 15 verses. In fact, we don't have enough time to go through it, but he continues to go on in, his, in this story in Luke, what's recorded, but he's priming the pump. He's getting to think about something. This question about the law is aimed directly to the people who were the upholders of the law, those who were the most right people in the society, those who had the understanding and were runs responsible for, for sharing the law to people and giving it and dispersing it. And he asks them this question about the law. Lawyers and Pharisees, he goes, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And you know what happens? It's crickets. Everyone's afraid to answer because they know deep down inside there's a, there's a hypocritical nature of what he's asked because they understand that they've done work. They've actually done work on the Sabbath when they were not supposed to. But it's interesting because when he asked this question, is it okay to heal on the Sabbath? It comes on the heels of the fact that in just a few, uh, you know, in an earlier uh, gospel, in Matthew's gospel, the Pharisees were on top of Jesus because his disciples were picking heads of grain and they were feeding themselves on the Sabbath. And they were trying to persecute Jesus on this fact. You can't eat on the Sabbath. And they were hungry. And so now he sort of turns the tables on them and says, hey, is it lawful to do this? Which, if you think about it, means that he has a relationship with these people. He's in relationship with these Pharisees. He's in relationship with the people who oppose him. He's in relationship with the people who don't agree with him. He doesn't stand necessarily in a combative odds. He actually says, we're in this together. Let me help you have proper perspective about the way we deal with this. And Jesus asks a second question, and he poses a moral and ethical question for them. He says, um, is if your son or ox fell into a well... Which one of you would immediately jump in and save even if it was the Sabbath? He's simplifying it for them. He goes, I understand that was a hard question for you. Let me simplify it for you. If you lost your son or a piece of your cattle, would you not rescue? In fact, the law in Exodus 22 and actually in Deuteronomy 17 does make allowances for this because in fact, some of the parts of the law say that there's some things that you just ought to do. If you're the kind of person who follows God and loves God, there are things that go above beyond what the law says, right? So there are some things that you probably couldn't be taken to court for. No one could probably sue you for it. What Jesus is saying is that there are times in life when we have to go above and beyond that because it's the right thing to do. 
And the law did actually make allowances for it. And so what he's bringing back to them and putting in their faces is saying, hey, you know this. You know that it's okay to do something that's for the betterment of somebody else, even if it's on the Sabbath. These people were silent before Jesus because we're so caught up in the minutia, the letter of the law. They lost perspective. They lost focus on who God is, what God is actually doing in their world, what God wanted, his purpose for them. They were missing the forest for the trees. This is a commentary on how people were missing the heart of who God is. Jesus often time and time again, when you see the interactions, he challenges people whose deeply held assumptions and their practices about how they love their neighbor. And he he helps bring them to a place of of a a different understanding. And so as you read this story, we're going to jump now because the scriptures are going to go and this is kind of long, so I'm going to jump through it. But one of the things that you see is that Jesus isn't done. He's not done. He's posed this question. He's got crickets. There was a man who's healed. Nobody's in awe about what happened, but he's not done. He's not finished. Look what he does. He's going to use the party that he's at, the celebration. He's using this party to illustrate his point about what the kingdom of God is actually like. When you're invited to a wedding feast, this is uh, Luke chapter 14, verse 8. When you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has been invited? Now, understand some things about culture, right? Uh, In time, in place, in a Jewish culture, weddings and the seats were very, very important because they meant distinction and honor and people were assigned certain seating. And so meals, wedding celebrations, festivals, these things were deeply political. It meant something. Where you sat, if you were even invited, meant something about who you were and your standing in society. And so Jesus is having this commentary. He's using the whole setting to explain to them something. He says, the host will come and say, give this person your seat and then you will be embarrassed and you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. This is just wisdom, right? This is just wisdom that Jesus is giving. Don't do this. But more importantly, isn't this sort of the world that we live in today? People fighting for position, to be honored, to be noticed. Step on and step over people in order to achieve the means to your end. Right? We understand this. Some of us have been victims of that. People trying to reach the top, and so they step on top of other people in order to get it and fight for yourself. And you know what? You're a self-made person, and it doesn't matter who gets in your way. Just climb your way to the top and step on everybody you can. This is what Jesus is speaking to. Even 2,000 years ago, he's speaking to our culture today going, no, no, no. See, you want to know what the kingdom of God looks like. So he begins to tell about this, this setting And so the kingdom is beginning to take shape. Verse 10, Jesus said, Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when the host sees you, he will come and say, Friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all the other guests. And listen to this last line. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, in the kingdom of God, The economy doesn't run on what you can take and do for yourself. The kingdom of God's economy runs on humility. Placing others above yourself. Seeing yourself as less important than other people around you to serve. 
to ensure that others are taken care of and their needs are, their needs are met. See, the kingdom is starting to take, take shape. Jesus is helping them have proper perspective. They've missed the forest for the trees. And he goes, no, no, no. This is what the kingdom looks like. But he's not done yet. Oh, no. Jesus isn't done yet. He's going to keep going. Are you ready? Then he turned to his host, the one who's hosting the party that they're at. And he says, when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends and brothers and relatives and neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be only your reward. Now, wait, wait, wait for a second, because it's easy when you hear this to miss the forest for the trees. See, what Jesus is not doing, he's not condemning you holding parties and having your friends and your brothers and your neighbors and people that you know to your house, because Jesus partook in a lot of those. He showed up to a lot of those. But look what he says. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. So what Jesus is doing here in the language, in the original language, is he's playing on this word. He says, don't just do this. In other words, don't just have parties for your friends and your relatives and the people that you know and the people who are like-minded like you. Because that's easy. He said, don't just do that, but also do this. Invite those who can't repay you. You see what he's doing? He's trying to break them free of their confirmational bias. He's trying to break these people free from their perspective. Don't just put yourself in these circles and only do this, but also do this. Invite those who are marginalized, far from God, far from you, who think different than you. He says, when you do that, you invite you invite those people, the kingdom begins to take shape. Invite those who, who can't do for themselves. That is what the kingdom looks like. And so Luke, Luke has this theme, this agenda, and to reveal what the kingdom of God looks like. To the original readers, he's explaining to them, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. Jesus presented it, right? In Matthew 4, verse 17, the first thing that Jesus said is he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, think differently about life because you have availability to God. You have instant access to who God is in his kingdom. It's here in your midst. And so here's what's interesting. As you read Luke, the, 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 this, this continual conversation and relationship with the Pharisees goes on. And in Luke chapter 17, they finally had it. Because they've been asking all along, what does the kingdom look like? What does the kingdom look like? And in Luke 17, verse 20, you don't have this. I'm going to read it to you. It says this. One day, the Pharisees asked Jesus. They'd had it. They had it. When will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. For the kingdom of God is already among you. You see, they just had this understanding of what the kingdom would look like, that it would be one that would rescue them from oppression, Roman rule, one that would rebuild Israel and make it the powerhouse kingdom that they'd always thought it was because they were so caught up. They'd missed the forest for the trees. They were looking in all the wrong places. Just show us what the kingdom looks like. And Jesus said, guess what, guys? The kingdom's right here. It's present. It's available now. Today And guess what? Even more, you're it. You are it. You see, when you choose love of enemies over hate, the kingdom is among you. When you choose to invite in 
rather than separate out. Folks, the kingdom of God is among you. When you choose to be generous and serve and not selfish and a lack mentality, the kingdom of God is among you. When you choose humility over pride, the kingdom of God is among you. You see, the kingdom of God is not this thing that's distant and far away and waiting to come upon us one day. Jesus said the kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. It's available. And then to use this illustration about the forest for the trees, the beauty of what makes a forest is in fact the trees. And what Jesus is saying is that you are those trees. That you get to be the representation of the kingdom of God at hand. That when you invite people into your home, that when you invite people different than you into conversations and discussions about difficult things and topics, ah, the kingdom, the kingdom is here. When we gather in a room like this, we share our hurts, our pains, our joys. The kingdom is here and it's real. Jesus ushered in that the kingdom was now and he says to you and he says to me, don't miss the forest for the trees. I'm here. Would you pray with me? God, we're thankful. Thankful that Ah, you are so gentle and kind with us. That you are patient and long-suffering. That you don't miss a thing that happens in our life. That you see our suffering. That you see our immense pain. And we know that it breaks your heart. We understand that this is not what you want. But we also understand that you're pulling us towards something more. And that you're not distant. But that you're here that you're in and through us, that you're in our midst, that you're tangible, that we can grab a hold of you because we have our brothers and our sisters who are also a part of that kingdom. And so God, we pray that you would help us to continue to grow this kingdom. Help us to see the power that your kingdom brings to bear upon the world around us by the way that we live, by the way that we love, by the way that we serve, by the way that we care. God, we thank you. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We are going to move to a time of communion. Uh, and now here's the beauty of that, is that communion is essentially the representation of the kingdom here and now. The kingdom is among us. That we get to partake in it. That Jesus says, no, that you get to do this. And I know I love that Mike talks about this, and I just kind of want to reiterate what Mike always says. If, if you think for some reason that communion is not for you, um, you are the person that needs to come and take communion. Because it wasn't something that you earned. It wasn't something that you get to have. It, God says it's a gift. It's a way to partake in my kingdom today. Um, and so you're invited. Everyone's invited to come and partake in the communion and, and to be a part of the kingdom. There is some gluten-free communion, I believe, on this side, Right? because God cares about those who are gluten intolerant, right? The kingdom of non-gluten is over there. Uh, so you're, you're welcome to partake in that as well. Um, 
Another way that you can partake in the kingdom of what's happening and building here is the participation boxes. If you feel like this is a part of the home you want to be in and you want to participate in that way, um, you can also do that as well. We have uh, prayer shawls. There'll be people up here who would love to pray with you if you need anything. People who want to stand shoulder to shoulder with you, carry the weight of the burden that you're carrying and pray for you, um, then that will be your time. Izzy and the band are going to play and sing some songs, uh, and then we'll rally together one last time before we leave. So this is your time to respond. Well, it's been a good morning. Thank you, Voxers. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming and being a part of this community and continuing to contribute to what this community means uh, and is. And so uh, don't forget, there's a community picnic next week. Uh, it'll be out on the lawn, so I want to remind you of that as well. Uh, before you go, uh, would you have everyone just, can just everyone stand? I just want to like pronounce a blessing over you. If, if that's like a pastoral thing I can do for you. Um, sorry if that's weird. But uh, anyway, before you go, God, would you uh, bless your children? God, would you go with them, be with them? Uh, give them wisdom uh, to accept the things that they can't understand. Would you give them strength to go out and invite the kingdom now, invite it into their lives and into their communities, into their homes. Help us to be more of the people that you have called us to be. God, we love you. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. Go in God's grace. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.